following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bibles this morning, we will be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Last week we were in John chapter 2 when Jesus attended the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Our series is The Compassion of Christ. We are looking at the miracles that Jesus performed during his time here on the earth, uh, how they were linked with uh, him moving out of his compassion in many different people's lives. And we've also seen that these miracles that Jesus performed were often linked to someone's obedience. We often saw in these miracles that... uh, Someone's obedience coming to Jesus or asking Jesus for something, somehow in some way it activated Jesus' compassion and compelled him to do something about this situation. So we often see in our Christian life that our obedience is often linked to uh, things happening that we've never seen before. Uh, A lot of times God wants to see us step out in faith, but he also wants to see us step out in obedience And so this morning's uh, sermon title is titled, What Are Friends For? If you were here Wednesday night, you recognize the title. It's the same thing, uh, same title that we had Wednesday night. Uh, It was a story about the Apostle Paul and his third missionary journey, uh, discovering friends along the way, them encouraging him and also warning him. So we talked about that, that phrase, that question there, you know, what are friends for? A lot of times we can use that in a serious context, you know, We'll help someone out. We're being genuine. We're showing compassion. We're helping them. And they, we, you know, we just say, you know, well, that's, that's what friends are for. But we can also use it in somewhat of a sarcastic way as well. When someone does something bad to you that you thought was your friend, you say, hey, you know, well, what are friends for anyway? With friends like that, who needs enemies? But we also talk about that in different ways, uh, about us helping people. What are friends for? We see these four friends that bring their friend to Jesus, but it wasn't that easy when they did. We see that there are some difficult obstacles that they had to go through. Their determination and the point of the whole context, the point of the whole passage that we see is that Jesus says, because of your faith, I'm going to do something about your friend's situation. So as we think about this, I want you to think about Someone in your life, a friend, a loved one, are you being a friend to them? What are friends for? Are you doing whatever it takes to bring that person closer to Jesus? And there are six different points we're going to draw out of this passage. Uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read through the whole passage and then we'll go back and unpack it. Verse 1, it said, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So, when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus 
saw their faith. Underline that verse. Underline those five words. Highlight them or whatever because this is essential to everything that we've looked at. All of the miracles that we looked at. The same principle applies to each and every one of them. And the same principle applies to our lives as well. Sometimes God wants to see our faith in action to know that we're serious enough about the situation to do something about it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, uh, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. So there were some people in the crowd that day. They were not there for a good reason. They were there as skeptics. And they spoke out against what Jesus just said about this man's sins being forgiven. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your compassion. And we thank you so much for this time together, Lord God. We pray that you would speak to us now in ways that we've never experienced. Pray that you want us to see something in this passage, Lord, that we can apply to our lives. And as we prepare for vacation Bible school, Lord God, this is just one of many ways that we can bring others to you, Lord God. To help them understand about a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. To put them in a position, Lord God, to where you can speak to their hearts and you can touch their hearts. You can change their lives and you can change their families. And I pray, Lord God, that through what we hear and what we see this morning, Lord God, that you would compel us to do it more often, Lord God, with the people that we come in contact with each and every day. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that I want you to see is the magnetism of the gospel. This wasn't an empty house that they were going to. This was a crowded place. Jesus had just entered into the city. His reputation was growing. People knew that he was a healer. People knew that he was a physician. People knew that he was a great teacher above all else. They had seen the wonders of God. Uh, He had already healed Peter's mother-in-law. And at the time he came in, this was most likely Peter's house that he was in. As soon as he came to Capernaum, the word got out, hey, Jesus is in town. Let's go hear what he has to hear. Let's go see what he does. Maybe he'll perform some type of miracle while we're there. We want to know more about who Jesus is. So the magnetism of the gospel, it was drawing people closer to who Jesus was. It was drawing people closer to Jesus than ever before. There was a phrase that we went over on Wednesday night uh, when it came to this, being around friends, being about around other people who are like-minded, be around other Christians. There was a phrase that you're familiar with, birds of a feather flock together. 
Anytime Jesus is being taught, anytime the word of God is being preached, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of the Jesus Christ, you should want to be around like-minded people. Those who think alike, those who act alike, those who believe alike, they want to be around each other to gain courage, strength, support. But most of all, what they were there to hear was the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And I'll give you some examples of that. If you're a golfer, where do you spend time at? You go to the golf course. If you're an angler, where do you go? You go to the river, the marsh, or the lake, you go to the fishing hole. If you're a hunter, where do you go? You go to the woods. Back in De Quincey, we didn't have marshes. We went to the woods. But down here, I know we have duck hunters. Duck hunters like to go in the marsh. That's where the action's at. If you're an alcoholic, you spend time at the bar. If you're a gambler, you spend time at the casino. But if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to be around God's people. You want to be around where the preaching and teaching of the word. It should be natural for a Christian to want to be around other Christians. One thing I want to point about this passage is at this point, the church had not yet been birthed. It wouldn't be until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that the Holy Spirit would come upon Jerusalem, speak through the apostles, and the New Testament church was actually birthed. So this gathering, people had just heard about who Jesus was. They knew that he was going to be preaching and teaching the word of God. They wanted to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted to be around like-minded people. Jesus was in the house. The house was full. And it should be natural for followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to congregate where the word of God is being taught. Those who want to be closer to Jesus are serious about their relationship with him, don't have to be persuaded to come where other followers are gathering. You shouldn't have, it should just be a natural reaction for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to want to be around like-minded people who are learning more about Jesus, who are learning more about God's word. The magnetism of the gospel is not just for lost people. Lost people aren't naturally attracted to the gospel. But people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and people who want to become more like them, it should be natural for them, like moths to a flame, to be drawn to where God's people are and where the word of God is being taught. The next thing that I want you to see is the meaning of evangelism. What does evangelism actually mean? D.L. Moody is known for saying that evangelism is this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread at. The four friends, through their actions, were saying, Buddy, you've got a problem. You have an impossible situation. We can't do anything to fix your problem, but we know a man who can And that's exactly what evangelism is. Evangelism is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a child of God, someone who has experienced the grace of God in their life. Their sins have been forgiven. They go out and they find someone else. They say, I recognize the lifestyle that you're leading. I recognize your situation. I recognize what's going on in your life. I can't do anything about it, but if you'll come and follow me, I'll bring you closer to Jesus. 
And Jesus could take care of that situation in your life. This paralytic man, he was unable to get into the house. He was unable to go anywhere by himself. He had a situation. He had a crippling condition. And that's exactly what sin does in our life. Sin is a crippling condition. And people don't want to be around uh, Christians when they're uh, living a sinful lifestyle. That's not what they want to do. So it's our responsibility to go out and find those people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and say, Hey, I know where you can find the solution to your problem. I know where you can find the answer to the questions that you're asking. Let us help you by bringing your problem to the Lord. And he is the one that you need at this time in your life. So let me ask you this question. When is the last time that you actually talked to someone about the Lord? When is the last time you've testified about what God has done in your life? Hey, God has saved me. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's set me free. He's given me a new life. He's made me a new creation. And he can do the same thing in your life as well. These four friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus, perhaps they had experienced Jesus before. Perhaps they had experienced one of his miracles. They said, look, we know where you need to be. And we're going to do whatever it takes to get you to where you need to go. When is the last time you've shared your faith with another person? When is the last time you've gone through uh, a difficult situation? When is the last time you've gone out of your way? When is the last time that you've inconvenienced yourself to go and tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ? E.L. Moody had this to say. He said, my friends, you cannot take the palsied souls to a better place than to the feet of Jesus. And what we're fixing to see is that these four friends would not be deterred. They would not be stopped. And they were able to do whatever it took to get their friend to where he needed to be. And that's what evangelism is. If you've got a loved one, if you've got a friend, if you've got an acquaintance, if you've got a coworker that's not saved, you need to set in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. You need to be determined. I'm going to do whatever it takes to share my faith with that person and bring them closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and put them in a position to where God can touch their lives and help them with their situation. Not only do we see the magnetism of the gospel, not only do we see the meaning of evangelism through this account, we also see the motive of ministry. Their motive was love and compassion. The house was full. Jesus was there. He was preaching and teaching. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four friends. Close friends, possibly relatives, but they loved this individual. They hated seeing this situation in their lives. And they were motivated by love and compassion to do something about his situation. The motive was backed up by their actions. They didn't just sit around and talk about it. They didn't just sit around and tell their buddy, say, hey, look, we're going to pray for you and walk away. They said, we're going to do something about this. 
We're going to do all that we can that's humanly possible, and we're going to put the situation in God's hands. So let me ask you this question. Does your faith bring others closer to Jesus? Or does your unbelief keep them away from Jesus? Or are you a person that is constantly bringing people closer to the Lord? Or do they see your unbelief, your disbelief, your doubt, your fear? And they say, you know, I don't want any part of that. If that's the Jesus that you serve, if you're not having victory in your life, I don't want any part of that. There's two groups of people in this setting. There are the followers of Jesus Christ. Obviously, there were quite a few of them because the house was completely full. There was no room for anyone else. Those with great faith, they came. They heard about Jesus. They heard that he was in town, and they wanted to be where Jesus was. But there's also a group that was very, very skeptical of who Jesus was. These were the scribes. These were the religious folks. These were the ones that claimed that they loved God, but they didn't want any part of Jesus. Between the scribes and the four men, which would you rather have as friends? Would you rather have someone that is dead set on following the Lord Jesus Christ and doing whatever it takes to help you and themselves get closer to the Lord? Or would you rather have someone who is sitting back criticizing everything that's going on, being skeptical of the situation, doubting the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to do anything about the situation. Which ones would you rather have as friends? I know who I would want to have. I know who I've had in the past. I know the four men who have brought Jesus, they were dead set on getting him to where he needed to be. That's what people have done in my life. That's the kind of friends that I want. The motive of ministry. What motivates your ministry? What is it that gets you up every morning saying, I want to live for the Lord? So these skeptics, these scribes, here's the scary part about it. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He perceived their thoughts. He knew their doubt. So not only was he going to teach a lesson to those who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was going to teach a lesson to those who were doubters as well by displaying his power and healing this man. The motive of ministry. What, what compels you to do something? What compels us to do something like vacation Bible school? What compels us to go out knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church, sharing the gospel with them? What motivates us to give our tithes and our offerings to send people around the world, supporting missionaries, supporting ministries, doing things that we can't do on our own, joining together with other churches and doing evangelistic outreach events? Because God has touched our life. And perhaps for these four friends, That was their motivation as well. Perhaps at some point in time, Jesus had touched their lives as well, and they had experienced the power of God. They'd even been eyewitnesses of something that Jesus had done, or Jesus had impacted their lives personally. And now they were motivated by the love of Christ to go and find someone else that was in a helpless, hopeless situation 
and say, you know what? We can't fix your situation, but I know a man who can. And that's the way it is with me. I can't fix each and every person's situation. Neither can you. But when we're motivated by the love of God, when we know that God has touched our lives personally, that should motivate us to go out and do the same for other people as well. The methods of soul winning. How do we get people closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Not only do we see the magnetism of the gospel, we see Jesus drawing people closer to him. The house was packed. Not only do we see the meaning of evangelism, what it means to actually go out and share your faith with someone else. Not only do we see the motive of ministry, but we also see the methods of soul winning in this passage as well. Verse 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. There are many different motives of soul winning. Uh, There's the ABCs of your faith. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and confess your sins to him. There are the four spiritual laws. We have gospel tracts. We have Bibles that have the plan of salvation in them. We have evangelism cues that tell the story of Jesus through picture form. We have vacation Bible school that we do evangelism through. We're hoping that souls will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Roman road that you can go through. We have many different ways of soul winning. But basically soul winning boils down to this. I'm going to tell someone else about what Jesus has done in my life. And then I'm going to use whatever method necessary to bring them closer to the Lord. You can think outside of the box on this. There are no constraints. There are no restraints. There's no limitations. Whatever you can think of that you can share the gospel with someone. Maybe taking them out to lunch. Maybe taking them on a fishing trip. Maybe just going and cutting their grass and saying, I did this because the love of Christ has compelled me to be a part of your life and to minister to you and to show the love of God to you in a practical way. To be the hands and feet in Jesus. Just several months ago, we studied about spiritual gifts and how each and every one of us has been given one or more capabilities to serve the Lord. Have you activated your spiritual gift? Are you serving the Lord in a way that you can share your faith with others? What method of soul winning works best for you? One of my favorite openers is just ask someone, hey, would you like to hear some good news today? Everybody wants to hear good news these days. I haven't had anybody reject me yet. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel literally means good news. So whatever method you could come up with to help someone draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be afraid to try different things. Don't be afraid to try different methods because there's a lot of them out there. Just recently, back uh, in February, when Brother Sam Moore was here, we had a soul-winning training. And he's taught us how to have those spiritual conversations, those Christ-centered conversations with other people. How to do evangelism in your neighborhood. How to do personal one-on-one 
soul winning and evangelism. But these four friends in this situation, they wanted their friend's life to be changed. They said, we got a guy here that can't walk. He's been like this from birth. He can't transport himself. We know where Jesus is at. We know that Jesus can fix his situation. Let's put our faith into action. Let's see if God can change his life. But we've got to do whatever it takes to get him there. And in their situation, what they had to do to get him to Jesus, it wasn't an easy task at all. The man was a paralytic. He was on a mat. He was lying down the whole time. So they had to have something, first of all, that was strong enough for him to lay on. Perhaps each and every one of them to grab a corner and pick him up and transport him to Peter's house. Then when they found out that the house was full, they couldn't get to Jesus. They had two choices. They said, you know what? Let's come back another time. Let's wait till the crowd is gone. Let's just forget about this, that maybe this is God's will, that we shouldn't do this. Maybe this is a sign that we shouldn't be here. But they say, you know what? We're desperate. We're determined. We're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend close to Jesus. So they went up on the roof. I don't know what they used to get up on there with, but uh, they had to have a mat to transport their friend. Perhaps they had to have a ladder of some sort. To get him up on the roof. But they say, you know what? We've got to get him elevated. We're not going to let that stop us. This is going to be difficult. This is a full grown man. Possibly around 200 pounds. He's unable to walk. He can't climb a ladder himself. So what are we going to do? We've got to get him to Jesus. Because only Jesus can do something about his situation. To get him up on the roof, we got to have some rope. We got to bundle him up. We got to pull him up. We got to elevate him to get him up on the roof to be able to get him back down. We're not going to let that stop us either. Once they get him up on the roof, we got to find a way to get him down. I don't know what the roof was made of. Possibly a thatched roof, grass, mud, straw, clay. They had to chop their way. It wasn't easy to get through. Maybe they had to cut their way. They said, we're not going to let that stop us either. We're going to be resourceful. We're going to try several different methods. We're going to take what has been given to us. And we're not going to stop until we get our friend to Jesus. Now, back in De Quincey, where I was from, we would have used a chainsaw. Maybe you've got a little more more modern tools to use. You can cut a clean hole in the roof. You can make it big enough to lower a man down through. Whatever they did, they said, we're not going to stop until our friend meets Jesus. Jesus is in the house. Our friend can't walk. He's stricken by a disease. He's paralyzed. And he needs help. So who do you know right now that is paralyzed by sin? Who do you know right now that is in a helpless, hopeless situation? Who do you know that you can utilize whatever resources and talents and gifts that God has given to you to make a way and to find a way 
to get them to where they need to be. That's what soul winning is all about. What method are you willing to use? What method are you studying right now? What method are you practicing right now? What question do you present to someone to maybe open up that gospel-centered conversation? Just like these four friends, don't be deterred by the small obstacles that get in your way. Don't let those little setbacks stop you from not sharing your faith with anyone. But you make up your mind ahead of time. I know who Jesus is. I know he has saved my soul. I know he has healed me from the disease of sin. I know that he has paid my sin debt. I know that he has shed his blood, not just for my sins, but for the sins of everyone out there. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, not just for you and you and you and for me, but for everyone in Morgan City, everyone in the state of Louisiana, everyone in St. Mary Parish, and everyone in this whole wide world. But far too often we let those small obstacles get in our way. We think it's not worth the effort. And we stop when we hit the first little snag and we say, you know what, this just isn't worth the effort. It's not going to work. It's too difficult. And we let our fear and our doubt paralyze us instead. The gospel is good news. And Jesus is the only hope for a sin-sick world. And we as believers need to act in faith to do whatever it takes, however much it costs, however big of an inconvenience it may seem like it is, to win that one lost soul and then another and then another and then another. The next thing that we want to see is the measure of their faith. This is the big one. This is the most important part, in my opinion, of what's going on here. Not only do we have this common phrase about birds of a feather flock together, there's another common phrase that we use all the time, and that seeing is believing. We know that something is true. We know that something is genuine when we actually see it happen. So number five, the measure of faith we see in verse five. There was something that happened. There was something that those four friends did. All of their effort was worth it. All of their effort was evidence that they truly believed that Jesus could make a difference in this man's life. And the measure of their faith was the action that they went through. All the obstacles that they overcame. Lifting their friend up on the roof, dragging him to where Jesus was, cutting a hole in the roof, letting him back down at the feet of Jesus. Verse number five, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus said, I've got all the evidence I need right now. I truly believe that in your heart, 
You want to see your friend healed because you have stopped at nothing to get him to where he needs to be. Seeing is believing. And so last week, there was a statement that I made that faith ends where worry begins. The wedding party had run out of one of the elements, one of the provisions. They were worried because they were out. They were worried that this wedding festivity was fixed to end in ruin. And their faith had ended at that point. This week, this story that we're looking at right now, faith ends where doubt arises. Not for the four friends, but for the scribes. The reason that Jesus wouldn't do anything for them is because they weren't exhibiting their faith. Their faith ended because of their doubt. And a lot of times in our lives, doubt arises and our faith falls flat. We see a situation, we say, look, this this is an impossible situation. There is no way that God can come through in this situation. It's just too far gone. A lot of times we don't share our faith because we doubt the ability of God to act in a person's life. We say, you know what, that, that person has been like that all of their life. That's just the way it's going to be. I don't believe that God can change their life. And that's the situation that the scribes were in. They had yet to experience the healing power. They had yet to experience the miracles of the Lord. And in their skepticism, they sat back and they said, Whoa, hold on. Who do you think you are? You can't say that. You can't do that. And that's why they weren't bringing their friends to Jesus is because of their doubt. But for the four friends, the measure of their faith, what Jesus saw, all the obstacles that they went through, all the hurdles that they had to overcome, they were set in their mind that they were going to get their friend to Jesus no matter what. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, there's something to this. And that's what brought about his compassion in this man's life. When he saw their faith, he said, there's something to this. These men have done everything that they could do. Now it is time for me to do my part. And that's how it is in our lives as well. Sometimes we, God wants to see us in our action. He wants to see us put our faith to work. He wants to see us put our spiritual gifts, our talents, our resources to work. And when he sees that, he says, I know they're serious now because seeing is believing. I see that they have done everything that they can do. They have shown me that they're trusting in me by their action and through their faith. And now I'm going to do my part. The book of James has a lot to say about faith. It has a lot to say about faith in our works and our action. It says this, more than likely James was here at this situation that we're looking at. He was in Capernaum on the day that this paralytic man was healed. He would later on write a letter of his own. And in that letter, he wrote about faith. And here's what he had to say. He said, faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's of no good to anyone. 
Now, we know that we're not saved by our works. Ephesians chapter 2 says it is by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't earn our salvation. We can't work for it. Our actions, the things that we do, those aren't what saves us. Going to church doesn't save us. Being baptized doesn't save us. Giving tithes and offerings, that doesn't save us. Those are all things that Christians should do through their obedience, but that's not what saves us. It's only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves a person from their sins. But James says that faith without works is dead. In other words, that faith is useless. But when you combine faith and works together, that's when you start seeing the miraculous happen. Where's the measure of your faith at right now? Does your faith motivate you to do things that seem somewhat challenging? Does your faith do something in your life to make you speak life into another person and share your faith with them? Does your faith motivate you to minister to people along the way that are in like a seamless and helpless situation? Many here today, many within the sound of my voice, many Christians today say that they have faith, but they have no action. Their faith is not doing anyone any good. Some here say, uh, some here uh, have the actions, they have the desire to do things, but they're not trusting in God for the results. They're working, they're working, they're working, they're working. They're saying, I can do this. I don't need God's help. They have a lot of action, but they have no faith in God to do the impossible in a situation. But when the two of them are combined, when the actions and the faith, when the works and the faith, when the motives and the faith are combined, that's when we begin to see the miraculous happen. So you might be saying that you're faced with uh, what seems like an impossible situation. Let me just say this. Impossible situations are the places where God does the biggest works at. This was an impossible situation. Not only was the man paralyzed, not only was the house full, not only were there a lot of obstacles in the way, and that's where God thrives the best at. Is when through our human eyes it seems like it's hopeless, helpless, and impossible. God says, that's what I want to be a part of right there. And that's usually when God comes through the biggest and the best. Here's the compassion of Christ. He sees your faith. And he knows that you're serious about the situation. And because of his compassion upon us. He wants to do something about it. Through his love and through his mercy, when he sees our faith in action, he says, I know that they're serious. I know that they need help. And I know that their faith is genuine. So the next thing that we see is the mixture mixture of responses. When Jesus performed this miracle, not only did he forgive the man's sins, But he also healed him. He perceived what the scribes were thinking. 
He says, I'm going to prove to you that not only do I have the power to forgive sins, but I have the power to heal people as well. I see the faith of these four men. I see their action. I see that they're serious about this situation. I want this man to first of all know that his sins can be forgiven. But also I want to know that I have, I want him to know that I have compassion on his life and I want him to be made whole again. And this drew a mixture of responses from the crowd. So the scribes, they were skeptical. They were insulted. They were in disbelief. But those who were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they saw Jesus forgive the man of his sins, and when they saw Jesus heal the man of his paralysis, they glorified God. And they were amazed. They said, we've never seen anything like this before in our life. So the unbelieving crowd was not impressed. But those who believed were all in amazement. How often do you stand in the amazement of God? How often does God do something and you just say, wow, Lord, I know that was you. What is your response to a situation when God places his hand on it and when he does the impossible, when is the last time you've been amazed by something that the Lord has done? Today, this week, there's going to be a mixture of responses. Today, during this invitation time, there'll be some that'll walk away in disbelief. There are others that'll be here, Lord, that'll, that'll say, Lord, I, I want that in my life. I want to be that kind of person. I, I want to be one of those friends that brings my friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be one of those people that stops at nothing to share my faith and to get my lost person in a position where they can draw closer to the Lord. There'll be a mixture of responses today. Some, some will be motivated to put their faith into action. Some will walk away in doubt. They'll say, my loved one will never accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So there's no use in sharing my faith with them. What are friends for? What kind of a friend are you or a friend that Lives out his faith each and every day? Are you the kind of friend that's going to stop at nothing to get your friends in a position where they can meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you one of those friends that's living in doubt? Saying, I I can't do that. And even if I could do that, I wouldn't get the response that I'm after from this person. They'll never accept Jesus. I I, I can't talk to them about the Lord. I'm not good at speaking in public. I'm not good at one-on-one conversations. What kind of a friend are you going to be? Or are you the kind of friend that truly believes that God can do something 
in a situation for your friend or your loved one. And you're going to go out of here today with a determination in your mind and in your heart saying, I don't care what the obstacle is. I don't care how big the hurdle is. I don't care how long it takes. I'm determined to share my faith with my friend. And I'm not going to stop until they're at the feet of Jesus and in a position to where God can touch their life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What's stopping you from sharing the gospel? When is the last time you've even thought about sharing your faith with someone? A couple of years ago, I challenged you to find one person that you can pray for. I challenge you to find one person that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and be committed to praying for that person. That's the first step of faith that we can take. I'm asking you today to take it a step further. I'm asking you to speak the words of life into someone as soon as possible. And I'm asking you to make a commitment today to say, I'm going to stop at nothing. To make sure that my friend comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Because at some point in your life, you were like that as well. You were separated from the Lord, you were in a hopeless situation. You lived your life without a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then someone, somewhere, helped you come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Could have been a friend, could have been a loved one, could have been a Sunday school teacher. But now that seed of faith has been planted in your life as well. And folks, let me tell you. This world needs Jesus. This world needs a Savior. This world needs some hope to cling to. And it's up to us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to tell the good news to as many people as possible. But if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never met Jesus, If he hasn't saved your soul from hell. If no one has ever shared the gospel, the good news with you. Let me just say this. Following Jesus and making the decision to follow Jesus. Be the best decision of your life. And you can make that today. 
The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our sin separates us from a holy and just God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, a spiritual death, a separation from God in a place called hell for all eternity. But the good news is this. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now he allows us to enter into that relationship and have forgiveness of our sins. Say, Brother Tracy, that's what I want in my life. That's what I need in my life. I need Jesus in my life. How can I do it? The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in just a moment when the music begins, the invitation will be open. If that's a decision that you want to make, I challenge you, as soon as you stand up, walk out in this aisle and come grab you by the hand. And I'll share more with you about starting a relationship with the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we before you, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. And we pray, Lord God, that each and every way and each and every day, you'll help us to find a way to share our faith with someone. And Lord, you'll, you'll just give us the determination and you'll give us the ability that we don't have on our own to speak those words of life into someone else. Let them know that there's a God in heaven that loves them. That there's a Savior who died for them. And that we know someone that can do something about their situation. Lord, I just pray that there's any one person here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. That today would be that day they'd step into a relationship with you by faith. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing our closing hymn. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.